John chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 28. John 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's go to God in prayer as we start. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day. First of all, God, thank you for waking us up to another great day. God, just allowing us to be awake and even more importantly to come and be able to worship here together is an incredible thing. God, thank you for Trey having another birthday today. God, thank you for Gerald and his excitement of being able to be engaged. God, thank you just for the many blessings you give us and those blessings that you give those around us that we can even be a part of and enjoy with them as well. It may not always be our personal blessings, but yet when it's in the family, as the Bible says, and one rejoices, all shall rejoice with you. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, amen. Jesus says uh, three simple words. It is finished. And that's a powerful truth. You know, some people can talk a lot and say a little. And then some can say a little, and it means a lot. Think of the little two-letter word, if. If means a lot. A lot can, if this happens, if that happens, or if this doesn't happen, when you say the word if, it has a lot behind it. Another example, you're at home, you just bought a new sofa, the family's having dinner, one of your little children runs with a red glass of their favorite Kool-Aid, red. Now we know that's not a flavor, but in our world, that's a flavor, red. And they're in the living room, and all of a sudden you hear two words, uh-oh. That can mean a whole lot on your new sofa. Or say, for example, husbands, you're having a, a, a disagreement with your wife. You're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And all of a sudden, she just says one word, fine. That means a whole lot right there. Is it really fine? Are you sleeping with both eyes open? Little words. Those three little words from Jesus. It is finished is actually one word in the original language, tetelestia, which means it is complete, it is finished. And the note, Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He says, it is finished. Now at this point, all the Pharisees and the religious leaders, you know, they were pretty proud of their work. They had planned to frame Jesus. They manipulated the authorities. They brought false witnesses forward. They got Jesus convicted in the court, and now he's up there crucified. And they hear him say, it is finished. They're excited. They're high-fiving each other. They felt like all our work we did is complete. Look at him. He's finished. It's over with with him. But it wasn't really over. It was just beginning. But even Satan and his demons, they were celebrating for three days. They thought they had defeated Jesus, that it was over, that he was dead. But the word was has a lot of meaning also. 
to some degree, even the disciples thought Jesus was finished. Now, they should have known better because he had been telling them for months, years, what was going to happen. He was going to die. He was going to raise from the dead. At least six times in the scriptures, we see that Jesus told them that. And probably more, because not everything is written in the scriptures. But at least six times, he tells them what was going to happen to him. But yet, they walked away from that day on the cross. They were in despair, hiding, doubtful, because he said, it is finished. In their minds, they thought, he is finished. But again, Jesus didn't say he is finished. He said it is finished. Tetelestia. And this is what I want to talk about to us today. The last words of people. The last words means a lot. The last thing you hear from somebody has a lot to do with it. Look over in John chapter 17. John 17, verse 4. The first aspect I want to talk about is a servant's last words. If you are a servant, a servant's last word. Look in verse 4, chapter 17, verse 4. I have brought, this is Jesus praying. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He says, I have completed the work you gave me to do. A servant's last word, it is completed. It is finished. Now, slavery in those days is different than the U.S. slavery of our time. Many people back then, when they went in debt, say they borrowed money and couldn't pay it back, they became a servant to whoever they uh, uh, owed that debt to. And so those masters in those days would give them specific tasks to do. And so the servant would come back and he would say, in other words, I've completed the assignment you gave me to do, the way you wanted me to do it. And these are the words that Jesus is saying to, the, to God, our Father in heaven. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing, completing the work you gave me to do. We should aspire someday to be able to say, Petalestia, to our Father in heaven as well. I brought you glory to finish the work you assigned me to do. Now, what is it that God is asking for us to do? I think it's two things that God is asking us to do. The first thing he's asking you to do is to stay faithful all the days of your life. Number one, he didn't send Jesus to die so we could end up losing faith in God and going to hell. That's not why he sent him. So our number one goal should be to stay faithful to God all the days of our lives. Secondly, to try and help other people come to have a relationship with God. See, you may be here on earth, number one, to stay faithful, but number two, to save at least one specific person. Because you don't know how that one person may affect so many more people. See, not all of us are called to be elders or evangelists or teachers. That's not everybody's role. The Bible makes that clear. But your role still is to have that mission to help save souls. And it may be one person God has brought you here for an assignment to fulfill. You know, again, I'll share the story. It's amazing. In college, here we are in Lawrence, Kansas. And one of these guys talks to a guy who's an atheist. 
introduces him to church. Next thing you know, he becomes a disciple. And within six months, he's on a mission team to Russia. Nearly is one of our biggest churches, over 3,000 in Russia. Started a whole orphanage everywhere, all from Lawrence, Kansas. What good can come out of Kansas? I don't even know if the guy, the guy's named Dale that met Sean Wooten, I don't know if he's ever converted anybody else. He's still faithful. I see him. Talk to him. But if for no other reason he converted that one person, look at all the thousands of people that are now saved. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 and 7. Here for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The number one thing for us to do, guys, is to keep the faith, to stay faithful. Now, in addition to that, it is to help people's souls to be saved, bring people to God. Now, I say this, and this is like the third time. You say, you said that already two times. Right. I'm going to say it a fourth time. Number one, stay faithful. Number two, to help other people. Why am I saying that? Because for years we've had that switched around mixed up. We thought our salvation rested on saving souls, reaching out, being a fisher man, saving as many as possible. And if I do that, then I'll make it to heaven. No, you got it all wrong. Your first objective is to be faithful and righteous to God, first and foremost. Then we can help somebody else. But many times we get so caught up in how man and how the world does it. God is not saying, I want your whole life to be focused on saving everybody else. First of all, make sure you're right. Jesus died for you to make it to heaven. Now, in that gratitude, yes, let's help other people. But if you're not living the right life, how can we help somebody else? If we're not grateful for what we have, if we're not happy about our salvation, if we're walking in the church and angry and grumbling at people and lip dragging, got scabs all on it, knuckles got ash marks on them for dragging like a gorilla, you all angry and upset. How are you going to help somebody come in? If somebody visiting and they look at you and you look miserable, like somebody just busted your bunion, how in the world do they want to become a Christian? Guys, we got to realize God wants us to be faithful to him first and foremost. It's not about other people. It's about you and God first. We just get the privilege of helping other people come to know that same blessing we have. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Ah, that is not the scripture I was looking for. Although that's a good scripture. Let's try Mark 5. And if that ain't it, I'm just going to quote it for you. Mark, somewhere in there it says, 
His master replied. <laughs> it's somewhere. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. We need to make sure. What is it? Matthew 20. I'm glad y'all know your Bible. We need to make sure we're servants in God's church. We're slaves to God. He owns us. He's our incredible master. We need to choose to serve him. We aren't saved to sit, soak, and soak. We're saved to serve. J.L. Kraft formed the largest cheese company in America in his day. He lived in Chicago, attended the North Shore Baptist Church. He served as superintendent of the Sunday school. W.A. Criswell was visiting from Dallas one day and asked, How can you organize such a large Sunday school when you have so much work to do with your great cheese company? He replied, God did not put me here to make cheese. That's the way I make a living. God put me here to do his work in his church. Whatever business God has you in is to support you in your real business of serving him. That's what we need to see. We are here to serve God. That we're blessed with other means, other ways, other privileges, other blessings, but yet our real purpose is here to serve God. Because God wants you to be faithful, number one, and then he wants you to serve him as we try to help other people as well. But that's what we need to understand. That's the servant's last word. The test is In other words, it is complete. The mission you gave me, the job, the task you gave me, it is complete. I want to talk about a priestly word. The last words of a priestly person. Look over in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 21. That is the correct scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 21. The priests back in the day were ones, you know, they had that incredible, elaborate, sacrificial system of animals. And look at what it says here in verse 21. If an animal has a defect, is a lame or blind, or has a serious flaw, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. The priests would examine the lambs brought for sacrifice. And they were looking for any spots or any blemishes. Why? Because this was a good picture of Jesus to come. The priests would first look into the lamb's mouth to see if anything was wrong with the teeth. Then the eyelids. Then the ears. Looking for any imperfections. And then they would take their hands and they would run it through the wool of the lamb. Because if they were looking for any black hair, just one black hair that they could see in the white wool of the lamb. And if they saw one, that lamb was not there for sacrifice. It would not be a perfect sacrificial animal. So they would run their hands through it. They would look, take the eyes, the ears, the teeth, the hooves, everything. And then, if everything worked out, they would lift up the lamb and say, Pet Celeste, it is a perfect sacrifice. This task of raising this lamb is complete. Why? Because this is exactly what we see when Jesus died on the cross. Sinless. Not a blemish of sin in his life. 
And this is why it's wrong for a person to try to get to heaven by their own good works. Because it implies that the sacrifice of the Lamb of God wasn't necessary. It wasn't good enough. As if what Jesus went through wasn't enough for us to make it to heaven. Let me do this. Let me add to it. You cannot add to God's plan of our salvation. His plan is perfect. He said it is complete. It is finished with Jesus. There's nothing we can do to add to it or to take away from it. And this is where man messes up time and again. This is why there's so many different denominations in the world. This is why there's so much conflict within churches. Because it's all about, look at this method, look at this plan, look at this procedure. And we take our eyes off of Jesus, but we need to fix our eyes on perfecter and author of our faith. D.L. Moody, another writer, wrote one day on a passenger train, and the engineer heard of him. He told the conductor to go ask Moody if he wanted to ride up front of the train with him. Moody said, that would be a pleasure. As he sat down next to the engineer, they began to talk. Soon Moody was getting an earful of what a good person this man was and how uh, he would go to heaven because of keeping all his holy rituals and the Ten Commandments. At the end of the ride, Moody looked at the engineer and said, Sir, allow me to explain to you the difference between your way to heaven and the Bible's way to heaven. You spell salvation D-O. God spells it D-O-N-E. This is what we need to understand. So many times we get caught up in legalism of do this, do this, do that, do that. But we don't understand. It's already done for us. Jesus already did it for us. The priest would say, Tetzelestes, complete, perfect sacrifice. This is the last words the priest would say before they were ready to give the lamb. The last words of an artist. We've got a lot of artsy people here. This is the city of art. But the last word of art. Now, first of all, I am not a painter. Now, I can paint the mess out of a wall in a house, though. We moved so many times, and I repainted those walls, and I can tear a wall up, put that blue strip out there. I can do that. But as far as artwork, that was not me. The Greeks back in their days, they were the, the masters of creativity when it came to art. And when the last stroke of paint was applied to the canvas, or the last piece of marble was chiseled away, they would stand back and look at their artwork and say, Tetzelestes, in other words, a masterpiece. It is now complete. You guys remember uh, a guy by the name of Bob Ross? He was this, uh, this, uh, as a... That's the only white dude with a black afro I've ever seen in my life. And he would paint a little happy tree over here and paint a little bird in the happy tree. And I'm thinking, a happy tree is your hair. But it was, he would paint those things. It was amazing how he could complete that in that little 30-minute TV show. But there was times I look at that and I'm like, what is going on? How did he do that? But then he have a nice picture of this tree by this lake. And then all of a sudden he takes this paint and just like blah, put this big blob of darkness right there. And I'm like, he just messed it up. A minute or two later, it's like little trees coming off that blob and everything all of a sudden looking all pretty. I'm like, dang, how he do that? I thought he ruined it. 
but it turned out to be better than the original once he got done with that nasty blob there. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, it didn't fit what his disciples thought the picture should be. His crucifixion was a big blob in their minds of what this picture is supposed to look like. They thought, this is ruined. He is finished. But he wasn't finished. That was the beginning of God's masterpiece. You know, we try to paint a rosy, pretty picture of our lives. And just when we think things are going good, I finally got my finances. No, no banks and collectors are calling me no more. My health's pretty good. You know, my car's finally running. Everything's great. The train came on time for the past week. We're happy about everything. But then all of a sudden, flop. A big blob of blue depression. A big gray of confusion. A big black blob of grief comes up. And we see all these things and we think, it's ruined. What's going on? What's wrong with my life? And then we realize God gets involved. And he takes that big blob of blue and black and gray and he puts the little touches on it. And all of a sudden, the picture looks better than it did before. Then we realize, you know what? We needed that blob of blue and gray and black to make the brightness come out. But when it's first thrown on there, that's all we see is that blob of, blob of blueness there. And we get so fixated on that blob that we don't see what God is actually doing. He said, you know what? I'm not done. Guys, listen to me. You are my tetelestia. You are my perfect creation. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It says we are God's workmanship, his handiwork, created in Christ, workmanship. That word is pomia. In other words, like a poem, a work of art. You are God's work of art. Even when those blemishes come on there, those big blobs come on there, don't let it discourage you. Because God's going to take that big blob and do like Bob Ross and just paint a little pretty birdie over there. He's going to hook that blob up, and your whole picture is going to look better than it did when it started. You think about when people start to crochet, and you're looking at somebody crocheting, and you're like, what in the world are you doing? Because it goes over and under, and it's all tangled up. And you say, well, that's just a mess. And then they lift it up, and you get to see the other side. And it's like an incredible picture. Many times in our lives, we're like, what is God doing in my life? Why is God taking me here? Why is he taking me there? Why do I feel this way? Why is this day like that? We get so caught up in the entanglements of the world well, we need to realize, let me be patient, because when it's all done, God's going to lift it up and say, look at this incredible masterpiece I've done. It's important for us to realize, the plan of salvation has been finished for a long time. There's no need for us, you or me, to add to it or try to take away from it or try to improve it at all. It is finished. It's a masterpiece. It is a work of perfection. All because of what Jesus did in the cross. 
He didn't say he is finished. He says it is finished. And that's the work of an artist. Now the last words of a merchant, a salesperson. Their last words is paid in full. Tetelestia, paid in full. See, in business transactions, if a man owned a creditor, he had to pay his bill. And when that bill was paid, he would stamp it on there, paid in full, red letter. Jesus took our sin, our debt, and he stamped on it, paid in full with his blood. I'm not going to heaven because God overlooked my sin or turned a blind eye to my sin. He didn't sweep it under the rug. Sin must be paid for. And Jesus paid for our sin. Now get this close. Because there's only two options. Your sin will either be pardoned in Christ or punished in hell. Pardoned or punished. The thought of studying the Bible. you got two options. Pardoned or punished. We should all study the Bible. Not just to become a disciple, but to stay a disciple all the days of our lives. That's the words of a merchant. What about the words of a warrior, a fighter? The last words of a warrior. In other words, victory. It is complete. This is a word that was used in battle when the soldiers would come back. That's what they would say, Tetelestia. You know, Jesus went ahead to head with the devil in his own backyard. Jesus faced Satan, not in the form of God, but in the form of man. And he turned the tables on that slimy, nasty serpent, crushed his head with the very heel that he nailed to the cross. And then when it was all over, he said, it is finished. Jesus won that victory. Look over in Philippians chapter 1. I am so glad God is able to finish what he starts. We're talking about the creator of the universe. If he started, he can finish. And look at what it says in verse 6. Philippians 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what? He started a good work in you. The day somebody met you, brought you to Christ, he started a work in you. Sometimes it started before your day of baptism. We all have a story of how we were met down this way, and we were invited 12 times and lied and said we were busy until that 13th time. We finally came, and then we came and still didn't want to study the Bible, and finally we did. I mean, some people had to be worked on for years before they became a Christian. Some people got stories. I found a, a, a flyer in the, on the subway. I, I found something. So many different stories. So God has been working on you for a long time. But understand this. He's not going to leave you half done. He's not going to leave you half cooked. You go to cook a cake and it's not all the way done. It's half done. You pull it out. That's some nasty cake. But God is not going to do that. He's going to leave you sometimes in the fire a little bit longer. Just to make sure you are really done. Says being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. We may feel like things are falling apart. And honestly, sometimes you may feel like 
you're finished. It may seem like God has forgotten about you. But be reminded today from God's word. He finished what he said. And when he had said on the cross, Tetelestia, he was thinking of you. He was thinking of me. And all the things he was going to do in our lives. That work is still in process for all of us. But rest assured, you are his masterpiece. Whenever you see those blemishes, do not let it discourage you. Let it brighten your day because that's just saying God's about to work right here with his blemishes. I'm having a hard time with my health. God's about to work something right here. I'm having a hard time with my marriage. God's about to work something right here. I'm having a hard time with my finances. God's about to work something right here. Don't let those blemishes discourage you. Let them lift you up because God has said, I'm about to continue my masterpiece. And when it's all done, you're going to look at it and say, it is finished. Not I, not he, but it is finished. And to God be the glory. Amen.